Well, good morning, everybody. We made it. It's like uh, trying to see how many people can fit in a phone book. The hardest part about that was making sure my hair's not messed up. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2 for the last verse of chapter 2. And then into three. Verse 25 of chapter 2, we read, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Many years ago, when uh, I was a newly married guy, I had a friend of mine down in the Peoria, Illinois area, and we'd play racquetball from time to time. He was single, and we were playing some heavy-duty racquetball, kind of beating the crud out of each other really good one night. And after we got done, we're just kind of sitting on the court, and my friend decided, he said, you know, I got to tell you what happened to me this last week. Now, my friend, like I said, he's single, he's, he was... Uh, Young man, he's a handsome young guy, and uh, he had been out in California at a particular conference, and he started to describe to me what took place. Uh, it was like a whole week conference, but they had conference stuff all, you know, one, Monday through Thursday, but Friday they had off. And so after the last session on Thursday, he finds himself in the hotel atrium, one of those big Hyatt things, you know. And uh, he's kind of looking over the balcony, kind of looking around at, you know, this huge, cool place. And sure enough, there's a, a beautiful woman about 10 feet away from him. And uh, she was kind of looking at the scenery as well, and they struck up a conversation. And uh, it, it turned out that for both of them, they had a layover. They had an extra day, Friday, where neither of them had plans before their flight took them back to the, to the Midwest. He'd never met her before. So they started talking about, well, maybe we could do something here in Southern California. It's nice. And then the thought came up, maybe we could go to Disneyland and uh, hang out for the day. Well, sure, let's go do that. So the next day, they make plans, they meet, they go off to Disneyland for the day in California. Nice and warm. It's awesome. And, uh, you know, you go on some rides together, and you're sitting next to this nice person, and and they're getting along pretty well, and 
as time goes you know, through the day, they're enjoying each other's company, and they find themselves holding hands in between rides, and at one point, one of those dark, scary rides, you know, he's got his arm around her, and things seem to be going just wonderfully, and so they have a great day at the park, and they come back to the hotel, two single people, my friend a Christian, and my friend says, hey, it's been great being with you today, but you know what, I, I, I need to, to go home, I need to go to my hotel room now, and she's like, no, why don't you come stay, and come visit with me, and you know, we can do something, no, no, I got to get packed up for the flight tomorrow, and so he puts her off, and he goes to his room, and he packs all his stuff, about 30 minutes later, she calls up and says, hey, are you done packing, and says, yeah, uh, well, you know, there's a good movie on, and I just ordered some pizza, why don't you come to my room, we can watch the movie for a little bit, well, I really shouldn't, but okay, so he goes, and now he's watching the movie, and they're eating the pizza in her room, just the two of them. And of course, movie's over, pizza's gone, gets up, gotta go, it's been great being here, gotta leave now. At which point, she got up and took his hands, walked him over to the bed, and she sat down and said, I thought you'd stay here tonight with me and make love to me. Now that's temptation, isn't it? This is the problem. He shouldn't have even been in this situation, let alone let things go this far. We could easily say, well, there's a foolish young man there in California, far away from family and friends. Why not just give in? Why not do what feels right or feels good? The reality is all of us are under a constant attack by the evil one. All of us are susceptible to temptation. But what can we do to overcome temptation? What steps do we need to take to walk in purity? In our passage this morning, we will learn that we should do what we should do and what we shouldn't do to overcome temptation. In our study in Genesis, as we've gone back to the beginning, we've seen that God created an incredible world for Adam and Eve. Everything was perfect. They knew exactly what they needed to be doing to enjoy each other and to enjoy God in his perfect creation, this awesome garden. But now something was about to take place where everything was going to be at stake. As Adam and Eve experienced an incredible temptation, what will they do? Will they overcome the temptation or will they succumb to it? Today we will see what we can do to overcome the temptation that we face in our lives. Five truths for your consideration this morning. But before we look at these truths, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity we have to study your word. And Lord, we want to hear from you more than anything this morning. We want to hear what your word has to say to us, that we might understand what we might do to walk in victory over sin as we walk with you. Oh God, help us in our study. Give us wisdom, give us insight. Be our guide and be our teacher. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the power of your word. Help us not miss anything that you have for us today. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, the first truth is simply this. We need to look for the deception and call it what it is. We need to look for it. We need to look for the deception and then call it what it is. 
Notice what it says in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. We talked about the serpent last week at great length. If you missed that, pull it up online. It'll be worth a listen to you. The serpent, the great deceiver. Understand his situation. The, the evil one is not just opposed to God. He wants to be God. He's the great counterfeit. You recall Isaiah 14, 12. Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what Lucifer's about. I want to be like God. I'm going to become God. It seems that his view is that God is in process. And if God is in process, then I can be in process and I can become like him. And he shows up and he starts selling the same craziness to Eve. A similar passage you can find also in Ezekiel 28 that we looked at last week. Now I've said this many times from this platform that, you know, God is not playing a shell game with us. God's not, you know, He's not trying to be tricky with us. He actually kind of turns over all the shells and goes, look, pick what you want here. Are you going to trust me or not? But here's what you can know with certainty is that the evil one is playing a shell game with you. And not only does he rearrange things and keeps moving the peanut around, trying to hide it from you, it turns out there actually is no peanut. You're not going to find anything ever. Understand that as he plays the game, as he tempts us. You have to understand that temptation comes to us in Two different ways. There's outer temptation, right? Things from the outside that come at us. But then there's also inner temptation, things that we tempt ourselves with. Thus, temptation begins with our self-talk. We say things like, well, God is just keeping me from what I really want. Why won't he let me have what I want? Or we say, well, a little bit won't hurt me. Or just this once. Everyone else is doing it. Well, I'm not really hurting anybody. It's not really all that wrong. It's not really completely a lie. No one will know. God, I don't know if you're really there anyway. Well, it's mostly true what I said. Well, I'm under grace. I'll get forgiveness later. I don't deserve God's love anyway. Poor me. I'll confess later. Oh, divorce isn't all that bad. Oh, the kids will be fine. No, they won't. Or how about this new one? Well, God, you made me this way. Some might say, well, it's just my personality. Or you might say, accusing God, you didn't help me last time, God. One more look won't matter. One more click. I wasn't all that mad. You're always giving me a hard time anyway, God. All the way to the most infamous statement about anything, my precious. Of course, the biggest lie of all, I don't believe you can meet my needs. What did Lucifer say? Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Understand James 1.12, what James writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, that's everybody in this room, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This is not complicated. We want stuff, and we want stuff now. And we try to find ways to get what we want in our own ways, by our own means. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Watch this. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. The desire becomes pregnant. You have a child known as sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Beloved, look for the deception. Call it what it is. That's a lie. That's not true. Don't allow for what I call stinking thinking, right? Don't accommodate it. Run for your life on that. But secondly, we need to prayerfully apply God's word to the temptation. When we're tempted, we should start seeking out God, asking his favor, asking for help. Look at verse 2. And the woman said to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Remember, Lucifer said, oh, you're not supposed to eat of any of those. No, we can. She gets that right. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I believe Eve gets this right with her first response here. My friend did too, as he tried to go back to his room after the day at Disney, but then he went anyway. David instructs us to hide God's word in our hearts so that we are prepared scripturally to do battle with the evil one. Psalm, David writes, Psalm 119.11, I have stored up or I've treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Take God's word, treasure it, so it's right at hand to grab so you can correct the evil lies, the, the falsehoods. Colossians 3.16, Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Remember, Jesus was tempted too. In Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted three times, and each time he rightly throws scripture back at the great deceiver. As Jesus prayerfully applied God's word to the temptation, we are told in Matthew 4.11, watch this, after Jesus responds with God's word to the evil one, it says in 4.11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. That's awesome. Some of us have never had the experience of angels ministering to us because we gave in. Oh, that we'd stand up to righteousness. Oh, that we'd stand up for what's good and true and pure. As the evil one walks away, the evil one leaves, and God sends ministering spirits to attend to us by his sheer kindness and grace. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus encouraged his disciples, Matthew 26, 41, he says to these guys, he, Jesus knows they're going to go through the ringer here in these next few days. He says, watch and pray. Why? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, guys. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to prayerfully apply God's word to the temptation. Seek his face. God, help me. I'm not thinking right about this. But not only that, thirdly, 
We need to be ready and willing to run for our lives. Be ready and willing to run for your life. Notice what Eve did. She abided in a corrupt dialogue. Isn't that what she did? She, let's just go ahead and talk about this some more. What did my friend do? He just kept abiding in a corrupt situation. Notice what Eve didn't do. Eve didn't flee. You know, you get the picture on the screen, right? There's a big ball coming at you. It's called sin, and it brings death. Run for your life. That's how bad it is. We need to understand how bad sin is. I don't think we understand the sinfulness of sin. Sin isn't just a mistake, a little error. Understand it's, it's a crime against the king of all kings. It's to live against him in, in great treachery, in rebellion. After all, God says, here, I want you to have everything I have for you here. It's awesome. And it is. God's got this awesome world for us. If we just trust him. But we go, no, I'm not getting it fast enough the way I want it, so I'm going to do it my own way. And you end up with nothing, and you're an outright rebellion against God. Be ready and willing to run for your life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. Hey, we're all being tempted with stuff. But God is faithful, watch this, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Did you know that? You mean I could have said no at any point? Yes, you could have said no at any point. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Really? There are ways out? Yes, every time. The question is, will you Take the way out. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, what does it say? Flee from idolatry. Run for your life. Here's, here's how this works. Here's how sin works. We have a sinful idea. And the idea crosses our mind. And let's say we're way over here on the side of righteousness and way over here is where rebellion is, right? And there's quite a few things that have to happen before you move from an area of righteousness and purity before you get over here to this place of outright rebellion against God in terms of what he says. But the minute you set up the routine of the rebellion, there's a, oftentimes a routine, well, I have to have this in place and then if I have this in place and then I have this in place, then boom, I can do this thing. I mean, you got to stop that ray over here, guys. Let me just tell you that right now. It's got to stop over here. So they don't even take that first step towards the idea. If you start the routine, you're in trouble. I don't care what the sin is. If it's alcoholism, you start the routine of how you're going to hide the alcohol. You're going to start taking steps. Nobody knows. I'm going to go get this. Or pornography, same thing. Everybody's out of the house. I got the place to myself. I'll erase the cash. I'll be all set. You just boom. You set it up and you start the routine. And once the routine begins, you're off to the races. And the only way to stop it is to stop the routine by running for your life. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Paul again writes to 2 Timothy 2.22, this young pastoral protege, 
So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Oh, that we would run towards righteousness and not away from it. Beloved, we need to run away from sin and not toward it. Run away from idolatry. Run away from youthful passions. Run away from anger and rage with your spouse or your coworker. Run away from abusing your children with your angry words or physical abuse. Run away from one more drink. Run away from one more toke. Run away from the pornography, the adulterous thoughts. Run away from premarital sex, hooking up and shacking up and Netflix and chill. Run for your life. Run away from destructive thoughts and actions. Rather, run after righteousness with the help of the Holy Spirit in you through faith. Pursue holiness, purity, faith, love, and peace, and watch God bless the crud out of you. Watch God amaze you with his provision in his time. But fourthly this morning, we need to be prepared to endure relentless attacks. Eve responds rightly here, setting the evil one straight. But we have to understand the evil one is relentless. He'll just keep coming after you. He'll try to wear you down. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, liar, liar, pants on fire. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to become like the most high. You can be like God too. You don't even need God at all. You just need you. Here the serpent lies again, and he'll keep on lying to you, keep moving the shells around. His goal is to wear you down. God had just said in Genesis 2, when you eat of it, you shall surely die. And now the evil one says, oh, you're not going to die. What kind of resolve do we need to have here? We need to have the same kind of resolve that Daniel had. A resolve from the first point of all this. Remember, Daniel was taken hostage by a hostile country. Finds himself as a young man with his friends in another kingdom. And they're trying to force them into their conduct and understanding of this kingdom in terms of all the rituals of the kingdom, including the diet. And the diet was uh, fraught with all kinds of horrible foods that the Israelites were not allowed to eat. And if you read the text, it says in Daniel 1.8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Notice the deal here. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. When do you think he resolved that? You think it was in that moment? I don't think so. I think he resolved that way before he got there. And let me tell you, if you're not resolved on where your stand is, you can be taken anywhere. You can be taken off to the races. Or you resolved on what you're committed to unto righteousness. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, offers us some strong encouragement in 1 Peter 5. And by the way, Peter knows what it's like to be tempted, doesn't he? He says this, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, 
That is, be resolved, resist, fight against it, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We're all going through this together. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm longing for. I'm longing to be confirmed, strengthened, and established, perfected by him. And the only way that happens is when I turn from evil and turn and run after righteousness. The evil one will keep coming after us. The Apostle Paul adds in Ephesians 6.10, you know this passage, I know you do. Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Put your armor on. Suit up for the battle. Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, by the way... (laughs) In other translations, this would say, gird up your loins with truth. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Excuse me. Look, what's the first thing you put on in the morning? Sorry, okay, you, hopefully you put your underwear on, right? That, you, that's where you start. That's your foundation. And it's got to be based on truth, on what's true. Let's start there. Go with what's true, no matter what. Watch this, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Do you understand when you're choosing to do that which is right, good, and awesome, you end up protecting your heart about things in life. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given to the, by the gospel of peace, get your shoes on. We have this rule in our house if we're traveling, all the kids, and, you know, hey, we're going to stop up here in five minutes, you know, and we're going to stop and get some gas, and you've got a potty break, right? And if we stop the car and your shoes are not on, boy, you're in trouble. Have your shoes on. Get ready to go. We need to be ready to go out to the community and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ that people are longing for. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. See, a lot of times we think of that shield of faith as, you know, this itty-bitty thing that I'm, hang, you know, I'm hiding behind the darts. Uh, maybe it's a lot bigger than that, and, and maybe we should use it more offensively. Right? Let's slam some sin out of the way here. And then the sword, right? The sword of the Spirit, the truth, God's Word. Bam! Let's do it. And let's walk in righteousness. Suit up. Get in the fight. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. How often? (laughs) At all times. In the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Would you just pay attention to what's going on? With all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Beloved, we need to be prepared to endure relentless attacks because he's coming after you. Well, nothing's happening right now. Oh, just wait. It's coming. Lastly, we need to walk by the Spirit, not the 
flesh. And here we see the problem as the evil one tempts the woman and the man who was with her, it says. We'll talk about uh, the ramifications of all this next week. Don't miss Verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I'm like, dude, why didn't you protect her, man? He didn't. Great fail. There are three things here that appealed to Eve that are reflected in what John writes In 1 John 2.15, John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. What did it say? It looked good for food, didn't it? The desires of the eyes. And there was a delight to the eyes, verse 6 says. And the pride of life was to be desired to make one wise. All those things, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And by the way, I hate to point it out to you, but the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. How long is that? That's a long time. Beloved, here's what's true. Our sin will never fulfill our flesh. Your rebellion against God in fleshly ways, will never satisfy the flesh. It won't be enough. Whether it's substance abuse, one more drink, one more hit, one more one-night stand, it won't satisfy. Our sin will never satisfy our eyes. Whether what you're looking at, desiring the cool car, the cool house, the pornography, whatever, one more picture, one more click, it'll never satisfy. Is it any wonder that there aren't just like just one or two pornography pictures out there? There are billions of them out there. Why? Because it doesn't satisfy. It can't. Never will. And thirdly, our sin will never make us wise. Years ago, I had a friend of mine. He was, he was, a, he was, a, he was a dope head, man. He smoked dope like crazy. And he'd tell me stuff like, hey, man, you know when I smoke dope, I play, I play guitar better. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't play guitar better, Steve. You just don't. Get a clue. It'll never make you wise. The call here is for us to walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, Paul writes, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That seems too easy, but that's the deal. If you're walking in the Spirit, you will not be about gratifying self, desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, right? Isn't that right? That's right. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Why? For these are opposed to each other. That's the problem. We got this battle going on. We got a big fight going on in our head. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that is your practice, if your practice is to live in outright rebellion against God, then you can't possibly know him. Now, if you're in conflict with one of these today, okay, well, we can talk about that. Let's work through it. Like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Okay, 
The Holy Spirit's at work. Should be a battle going on. If there's no battle, then you're just lost. But if you're being convicted by these things, turn to Christ. Find forgiveness. Find restoration. Find your life. Run for your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's awesome. Against such things there is no law, Paul says. You're not going to be pulled over and given a ticket for being way too patient. Right, I'm sorry, sir, you're being way too patient there. You're being way too kind. And by the way, it's the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't the gift of the Spirit. We're not talking about special gifts that people, you know, God gives special gifts to different people. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the Holy Spirit in you that should be flying out of you as you live your life, no matter what you face. The kindness and gentleness, sweetness, awesomeness will be flying out of you by his sheer grace towards you. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have you done that? Have you crucified those? When we did the example, this, this outward expression of an inward reality by way of the baptisms, when we go under the water and we die to self and we're now raised to new life, having crucified our old man, that we might now live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and what happens? He'll flee from you. Okay, that's different. Let's go, let's get on with that. Let's run with that. So what happened to my friend? <laughs> In the hotel room with the beautiful girl, what did he do? After she drew him to the bed once again, he thanked her for a lovely evening. And he said, if I stay here tonight with you, it would not be fair to my future wife and it wouldn't be fair to your future husband. But thank you for a lovely day. And he opened the door, and he shut it behind him, and he ran down that hall for his life, kicking up his heels, he told me. I'd like to tell you that my friend is now an executive pastor of a very large church down in central Illinois with a beautiful wife and four kids. God, God protected him that day from his own foolishness. But don't start the routine. Don't go there. Run for your life. All of us are under constant attack by the evil one. All of us are susceptible to temptation. But what can you do to overcome temptation? What steps do you need to take to walk in purity? What are you being tempted with right now? What are you going to do about it? Beloved, do not be passive in your approach. Cut it out. Cut it off. Run for your life. You need to do something right now to protect yourself and those around you so that you can walk in righteousness. As we've discussed today, look for the deception and call it what it is. Prayerfully apply God's word to the temptation. Be ready and willing to run for your life. Be prepared for his, the evil one's relentless attacks, and then walk in the Spirit and not the flesh. Only the Holy Spirit in you will make the difference. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power that's in your word. But Lord, we 
we know with great certainty that we cannot do this in our in our in ourselves by ourselves we need your help oh god fill us with your spirit that we might walk in righteousness and purity so that we might be pure vessels used in your hand for your purposes to touch the hearts and lives of those around us, starting first of all with our families. Maybe somebody's harboring bitterness, anger, and rage towards a family member here today. Lord, I just pray that they just drop all that. They lay it at your feet, turn to you. They put the bitterness and the anger and the rage Throw it far from them. Put it off. Put on Christ. Someone's wrestling with addiction, whether it's substance abuse or sexual gratification. Oh God, help them to turn from the rebellion and turn towards you. And Lord, may they get the help that they need to have to walk rightly with you. Lord, we thank you that with you we can have victory over sin. Real victory. Where we can say, I used to do those things, but I don't anymore. Because I've been redeemed. I've been washed. I've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Oh God, that's my prayer for everyone, everyone in this room. That we would experience your salvation, your righteousness and purity. And that we would find ways with all of our being to walk rightly with you bring glory to your name because of all that you are to us and all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for so great a salvation that's found in Christ that we really can be washed clean. Lord, help us. Help us when we struggle. Help us to not start the routine of rebellion. In some cases, run running for our lives toward righteousness, towards the cross, towards your truth, towards your word. Lord, may we be suited up with your armor. Our hearts would be protected, our helmet of salvation on our heads. Oh God, we need your help in all these areas. Thank you, Lord. We want to give you all the praise today. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, before you take off, I'd like to invite our three candidates up for baptism and uh, get some certificates. So come on up. Did we lose Hannah? Oh, there she comes. So here you go, Dustin. Congratulations. And Josiah. For you and Hannah. There you go. Let's thank the Lord for these three, shall we? You may stand and you're now dismissed. Have a fantastic day. Thanks for coming.